I want to tell you tonight how personally thankful I am that the elders placed confidence in me to be with you, to preach the Word of God. Emotionally, I'm a wreck. And because I'm coming back home and loved ones are here, people I've known for a very long time, people I cherish, people I pray for, some people that are here go way back with Sheila and I, history. I love that. Love to mention you all by name. The elders didn't ask me to come and do that though, so please forgive me for not doing that. I want to I do want to say one thing though, just just one little bitty thing before I start my lesson tonight. How thankful I am that Ann Harville has moved here as a member of this church. She's a precious lady to me because her husband baptized me into Christ after teaching me the gospel in 1975 at Locust Street in Mount Pleasant. I'm delighted that she is here. I know you love her. I know she loves you. Please take care of her. As I told my son-in-laws when they were dating my daughters, they're precious cargo. Anne is precious too. God bless you. And thank you. Thank you for the sacrifices that you made for your husband to preach the gospel. God bless you for being a Christian, for loving God's Word, for loving God, talking to God, praying to God every day. Thank you for everything that you do, every word of encouragement, every prayer that you utter for someone else in this room. Living as a Christian is not easy. It demands courage, sacrifice. There are people of courage and sacrifice in this room. God bless you. Hold to His Word. Never give it up. I think that you'll see that in, in the lesson tonight as we think together about this very important subject. What makes the Church of Christ different? And it's the insistence on thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord for everything believed and practiced in the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now by the Church, we're talking about the, the church that Jesus proposed to build Himself in Matthew 16 and verse 18. The one that was carried on by His specially chosen apostles who were ambassadors of Christ, who taught the doctrine of Christ as they received it, as it was brought to their remembrance by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit led them and guided them into all truth. And we have the completed revelation of God before us today. Fortunately, it's in written form, so we can check everything that every teacher says. Fortunately, it is in written form, so that we can open it at our kitchen table in the coziness and the warmth of our own homes and see what God has said to man. How blessed we truly are. The Church of Jesus Christ started and continued by, continued by His apostles, started on the first Pentecost following the resurrection of Christ. God gave assurance unto all men 
that he raised him from the dead. No other prophet can that be said about, that he was raised from the dead. No other religious leader, Jesus Christ. It was continued by those who took special care to make sure that they preached nothing but the teachings of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of the apostles. It can exist even today. As it does, I am confident and very sure at this location. Not because we can look at certain men and say, well, here are, here are the apostles. Or here are, here are men who were specially chosen as apostles to continue the work of Christ through a long chain of succession of apostles, and we have those. No, no. Jesus never intended for the apostles to be a permanent fixture on this earth. He had a work for them to do, and they completed that work, and here it is right here in written form. Fortunately, it's in our own language. It's in the English language. We can read it. We can understand it. Make sense of it, and that's good. How do we know who God's people are? We talk about the church. We're talking about people that belong to God. We're not talking about a social club. We're not talking about a brotherhood of good old boys that have some kind of relationship with each other, that they can feed each other, work and provide jobs for each other and look out for each other and that sort of thing based on social ties. We're not talking about a social organization. We're talking about something way much more important than that. We're talking about people who belong to God. We're talking about people who are children of a heavenly Father. They're His children because they, they follow His traits. They love His ways. Their ears are open to His teaching. And in their heart, they know that they are children of their Father. When we talk about the church of the Bible, we're talking about the people of God, people who belong to Christ. People who belong to God, they belong to Christ by virtue of the fact that Christ shed His precious blood to purchase each and every one. That places the church of God on a much higher plane than any social organization that men can devise, that men come up with, doesn't it? Isn't it much more important because it deals with the soul of man? We talk about different. What makes the church of the Lord Jesus different? What makes the people of God different from other religious people who live in the same culture and society that we do? What makes them different? When we talk about different, we're, we're, not, we're excluding the churches of men. Churches that have been started by men, founded by men, teach the doctrines of men, uphold the tradition that originated in the minds of men. When we talk about people of God, we're talking about people whose doctrine originated with God. The church is God's idea and not man's. It is different from anything that man can come up with. Although there are many counterfeit religions in our day, now think about that a little bit. Counterfeit. Counterfeit. You know about 
criminals who manufacture counterfeit bills and pass them off as the genuine thing in our society, don't you? And you know that, that in, in the, the criminal art of coming up with a counterfeit currency that can be passed off as the genuine thing, it has to look so very close to the original that the casual observer will put it in his cash drawer and give you change when you go into his store to buy something with the counterfeit bill. Now, how would it be? You know, we have some young people here, and I'm delighted to see that, by the way. How, how would it be, do you think, these young men down here can understand what I'm saying, how would it be, you think, if you walked in a grocery store to buy some groceries and you gave the cashier a $75 bill? Have you ever seen a $75 bill? That's right. And a cashier at a grocery store hadn't seen it either. The counterfeiter did a very poor job, didn't he? They'd laugh you right out of the grocery store if you tried to buy some groceries with a $75 bill. But now if you had a counterfeit bill that was a hundred or a fifty, very much close to the good, reliable currency that we have in this country, they might accept that, wouldn't they? This is what men have done with the churches devised by men. Make them match the one you can read about in the Word of God so closely that people have trouble telling the difference. People who are unsuspecting. People who are not familiar with what God says in His Word. So we're talking about what makes the people of God different. And it is the insistence on something. To insist on something means the same thing, you young men, when your parents come in your room and say, you are going to bed by 10 o'clock tonight. They insist that you go to bed by 10 o'clock so you can get up and go to school the next day. I know some of you go earlier than that. Are you, are you happy because I said 10 o'clock? I think your bedtime might be a little earlier than that, mightn't it? To insist on something. We're not talking about a mere suggestion. The Bible doesn't suggest that we follow this, but, but if we put our heads together, if we come up with some committee of religious people, and they have to be good people, and they have to be people who know a little bit about what God said in His Word, do we want to let them make decisions for us? No. We insist. We don't just suggest. We don't merely recommend. We insist. Now why do we do that? Is it because we're just cantankerous folk? Is that the reason we insist on thus saith the Lord for everything we believe in practice? And by the way, everything means everything. There's nothing in the other pile. When we pile up everything, there's nothing over here. It's everything. It's the sum total of all that it is. The sum total of everything we believe 
Everything that we truly believe, and in the Bible, belief has to do with what is really in your heart, what you're so convinced of, and what you trust so dearly, that is so precious to you, that you live your life in accordance to what it says. That's biblical belief. That's faith. That's belief and practice. The person who wrote the Roman letter begins the letter by talking about the obedience of faith. They're inseparably linked. He ends the letter the very same way. The obedience of faith. That's Bible faith. Everything. Now who decides? God has already decided. Jesus has already taught it. The apostles already presented it to men. It's over with. There's no new revelation. It's recorded. It's in the book. It'll be in this book when time comes to an end. It'll be in this book when the Lord comes again. We are so blessed to have God's completed revelation in this book. Anything that you want to know that God has told men, it's in this book. Everything that man needs to know to be perfect in the sight of God is in this book. Isn't it? Everything. Everything. Will we cease being servants of God to have things our way religiously? If we do, we err greatly. James even said in his letter in James 4, 11 and 12, but if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. He's asking us to make a choice. Do we want to be a doer of the law or do we want to kick back and judge it and criticize it? We wouldn't do that with the Word of God, would we? There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. You see, we're not talking about a social club here. We're talking about the salvation of men and women. Souls. Souls that will have a place where they will occupy for eternity. Unbound by time. And it's every man's choice. It's not the expected way. Jesus Christ never fulfilled perfectly and ideally the expectations of men, did He? Even among His very closest disciples. When He said, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, and He's going to suffer at the hands of the chief priests, the scribes and the elders, and they're going to kill Him. His closest disciple, who knew Him the best probably, called Him aside and laid Him out. Why? It's not going to be this way. It can't be this way. The Lord forbid it that it's going to be this way. And what did Jesus say to him in, in reply? Your expectations don't match God's will. And I'm paraphrasing there. 
What you're expecting for the kingdom of God doesn't match God's will. And so, get behind me, Satan, is what he said to dear Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You cherish the things of men and not the things of God. Jesus never came to fulfill the expectations of men, nor the desires of men. When, when disciples came to, by force, make Jesus king over them, he retreated from their midst and went away by himself. This is what we're talking about tonight. What makes the people of God different? And it's because they insist, thus saith the Lord, for everything we believe and everything we practice religiously. Now, why is that so very, very important for us to do? Why is it so important to the people of God to hear that, thus saith the Lord? Let me tell you some couple of passages here that will clearly show you why it's important to someone like me, someone like you, someone who wants to please God by being a Christian. John 12, 48 through 50. Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Notice there that Jesus didn't say, now everyone must realize that they are going to be judged individually by what each person believes. He didn't say that. He said you're going to be judged by the word that I spoke. Aren't you glad we have it right here? You know, there's no question about what's on the final exam. It's all right here. Jesus said, the word that I spoke will judge you in the last day. Not what you believe. He could have said, you will be judged by what you believe. But he didn't say that. He said, you will be judged by the word that I spoke. Second John. 7 through 11, in verse 7, the first part of that verse, John, in this very short letter, indicates that many deceivers have gone out into the world. And in verse 8, he says this, Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Now John could have said anything. The Holy Spirit could have inspired John to write anything. And certainly something that would be more comfortable and acceptable to people who want to be religious. Could the Holy Spirit not do that? But the Holy Spirit said, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Do you think that anyone might include my mother or my father or my dear sweet grandmother? Do you think that there's an exclusionary clause in this passage that says anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ unless he's someone that you love dearly, 
and someone that you appreciate and someone that you regard as a good person. The Holy Spirit could have said that had that been God's will. You go too far, you do not abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. And furthermore, the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. You see why I'm here tonight insisting on thus saith the Lord? Because without that, we don't abide in the Father. We don't abide in the Son. We're wasting our time. And we're wasting our resources. We're wasting our lives, frittering it away in, in foolishness. But God's Word is true, isn't it? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, if anyone, could the Holy Spirit have excluded people from that if He really wanted to, if it was God's will? The Holy Spirit could have said, now John, you write this, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, unless it's your grandmother, but the Holy Spirit didn't say that. The Holy Spirit said, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Why? When you let him in the front door, you're going to listen to him. You're going to have sympathy with what he says. And he's going to tell you things that are not according to what God's will truly is. He says, do not give him a greeting. And he makes it very clear the reason why. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. You know, the Holy Spirit called this evil. If we want to know what really is good and what really is evil, what better place to go than God's definition book? If you want to be right about it, you look at God's definition of good and evil and you'll know the truth. May I express to you a modern-day parable? This isn't one of the parables of our Lord, the Master Teacher, but it's a parable that I think will help you to understand the point that I'm trying to make in this lesson tonight. The Master Home Builder Company prepares and sells blueprints for the construction of homes whose design is well-proven and reliably established. The contractor you hired completes your home and you move in. Well, a few weeks later, you kind of notice that the kitchen floor sags a little bit, especially right in front of the sink. And the missus is not very happy about that because this is her brand new home. And then you notice when a torrential rainstorm comes that the roof begins to leak. And you see those stains where rain has been leaking in the roof on the inside of your house, and you're thinking, this is a new home, it's not supposed to be that way. And then finally you're fed up when a small fire breaks out in the utility room. Fortunately, you have a fire extinguisher and you put it out. Now how do you feel about that? How do you feel about your brand new home? You don't have to tell me. I know how you feel about it. You don't appreciate it a bit, do you? You don't like it. You're upset. 
you want some justice. You want things fixed, and rightly so. Now what happened? An investigation shows that the builder used materials and construction practices that were not specified on the blueprints. You know, back in my younger days, I think they made a movie about this very thing. Wasn't it the, uh, the towering inferno where someone became greedy and they didn't use the materials for the electrical wiring that was specified on the blueprints, but used a cheaper material to get the job done because that would line his pocket a little bit. More profit for him. And it caught on fire. And people lost their lives. Do you think that ever happens in real life? If it doesn't, why do the attorneys put an advertisement like this? Does the contractor have applicable errors and omissions coverage? The attorneys are asking the general public. The attorneys at blank and blank can help you determine the answers to these questions and more. Our attorneys have experience taking these specific issues all the way through trial. Construction defects can result in substantial costs for homeowners. A home is the largest single investment for most people. And construction defects can damage that investment and worse, significant defects and oversights can make the house uninhabitable and make it to where you can't sell it to somebody else. An experienced construction defect lawyer can help you sort through the maze of these relationships, the type of damage, and help you determine if compensation is available to help you with your damages. Damages such as, note this, failure to follow blueprints. I want to suggest to you that is a common thing in this country, a failure to follow blueprints. They go on to say, we work closely with design engineers, construction experts, and surveyors to expose defects, shortcuts, and deviations from codes and regulations that lead to substandard construction. Now, as significant as a home is for a family, can you just go out and build a new home whenever the whim strikes you? as significant as a new home is for a family, for what it costs, for what you have to pay, for the investment that it represents, no person in their right mind would argue and say that blueprints are okay to deviate and ignore. Now, if we can see that in the realm of common everyday life, why, pray tell, can we not see that when it comes to something way more important than the home someone owes, when it comes to the soul of men and their eternal destiny, why can't we follow the blueprints of Christ? Please think about that. How much more important is it for the eternal soul of man to follow exactly the blueprints that the Lord has given for His people. Blueprints, what are you talking about? Thus saith the Lord is God's pattern for His people. In the long ago, 
King David, a representative of God, said this in 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 19. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by His hand upon me. All the details of this pattern. David had a pattern to go by to build the temple of God in 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 19. And he said, God's hand was on me to write it down. Now that's what I'm telling you about God's Word and the New Testament and the role of the apostles today and what this represents to God's people. God laid His hand on some men, reliable men, trustworthy men, and they wrote it down. Why'd they do that? Why'd they go to the trouble? You know, they suffered a great deal of persecution and even death, horrible death, because they wrote it down. Why'd they do that? If all in the world it represents is just a suggestion. Here's some suggestions if you want to be some good people. It's way more than that, brethren and friends. Way more than that. Notice that David didn't say, well, let me run, let me run this, what you've put your hand on me, Lord, and you've revealed for what, what I should write down. Let me run that by the Temple Improvement Committee to see if I can get their approval for it. Do you ever read of anything so crazy in the pages of God's book? You don't. Now why will we accept that hook, line, and sinker today when people tell us that's the way it is religiously? 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13 is a passage that we can use here to explain what we're talking about. Retain the standard of sound words. By the way, I'm using the New American Standard Version. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. Here is an apostle telling a young preacher, his protege, his trainee, I'm going to tell you what to hold on to and you do it with all your might. You hold on to the pattern of sound words in the American Standard Version. Hold the pattern of sound words. Retain the standard of sound words. Because God has a purpose, and it's an eternal purpose in Ephesians 1 and verse 11. And God's purpose is carried out when His pattern is followed. Hold on to it, and don't you ever let it go. Those are some significant words, are they not? Think about the word that the Holy Spirit chose to explain to people who look into God's book. Who are these people of God? Think about the... Just, let's just take a word that the Holy Spirit used to describe the people of God. The kingdom. The kingdom. Jesus in Matthew 16 and verse 18 told Peter, after Peter's confession, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. He told Peter... I'm going to build my church, and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Now why did he use that word? Because that word carries ideas with it, and concepts with it, 
to help men understand God's purpose. What God has in mind. What did God have in mind in the marriage relationship? You're familiar with that. He had in mind a husband and a wife in a permanent relationship to have children, to bring children into the world, to live decently and in orderly in society. That's God's purpose. God didn't ever say anything about the purpose of a homosexual marriage, did He? Kingdom, what does that mean? It means a king. You know, we have a problem in this country, I think, because we haven't experienced what it's like to live under the rule of a king. Maybe we need that experience. Because when the king says, this is what you are going to do, are you going to do it? If you don't do it, what do you face? Off with his head. And I'll get somebody in here who will do what I say. That's a king. That's a human king. And people live in kingdoms subject to the will of the king. Now in the case of men, it, the king may not be so good. Are we going to say that about King Jesus? I don't think we will. God has a purpose. And He has a standard. And He told Timothy, retain the standard of sound words. You can't take the standard of sound words and throw that out for your own standard, can you? Let me illustrate this way. Your father tells you to go to the gas station. He's fixing to make a trip to Memphis. He tells you to go to the gas station, ride with your mother, put 10 gallons of gas in the car. That'll get your mother to Memphis. You go there, and you kind of forget about what really a gallon is. But now you have a measuring cup that your mother used in the kitchen. So you take 10 measuring cups worth of gas and put that in the car. And then when your mother gets somewhere about Lewis County, Hohenwald, and... The car runs out of gas. What happened? Is there not a breakdown in communication? You didn't use the same standard. Is a gallon really a gallon? Is a gallon in Europe really a gallon in the United States? There has to be a standard. Are there 12 inches in a foot? Are there 3 feet in a yard? There are in America, is it that way in other countries? There has to be a standard. We can see that. We can accept that. We live with that every day. Now why do we have trouble when it comes to what God said? And this is the standard. Retain the standard of sound words. Well, it's okay for us to skirt that. It's okay in the matter of religion for us to ignore the standard set up one of, of our own choosing. Why do men do that? 
God didn't say do that. You see, thus saith the Lord is the authority. It's power. It's the chief thing. It's the words of the king himself. And the citizens of the kingdom are bound to live by it. Paul wrote to the Colossian Christians and said in Colossians 3 and verse 17, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the way, give thanks to God for that. Whatever you do. Now here again, the Holy Spirit could have said, you know, that's a little bit harsh. That's a little bit too restrictive. That's a little bit narrow. Maybe we should open that up a little bit and say, whatever you do most of the time, or whatever you do unless your relatives oppose you in doing it. The Holy Spirit could have said that if that was God's will. But obviously it's not. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but who will? If not everyone will, Lord. Now there's some people that believe everyone will. Jesus said, not everyone will. Well, who is? But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. How do we know the will of the Father who is in heaven? We've got a copy of it right here. And you do too. The Holy Bible. He goes on to say in verse 23 of Matthew 7, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. Now some, some translations say, ye, you who practice iniquity. And sometimes in our way of thinking, we may take that iniquity to mean, okay, that's bad stuff, that's wicked stuff, that's evil stuff. But the New American Standard Version expresses that word precisely, very precisely, lawlessness. You're practicing lawlessness when you don't do what the Lord said do. Now what is lawlessness? One can practice lawlessness because he doesn't know what the Lord said. But he's still lawless. He's without law because he's unaware of it. Now what about somebody who is aware of it, but they make the deliberate choice to ignore certain sections of what it says for their own personal desires? Would that be practicing lawlessness? It most certainly was, would be. You can practice lawlessness by not knowing what the law said, but you can also practice lawlessness by deliberately violating what the law says. And we must be careful. Why are you people always talking about authority in religion? You know, sometimes our young people may have a, a, a difficulty understanding the concept of authority. A person who has served in the military knows full well what authority is. But here is a place in your Bible, young people, 
Here is a place in your Bible where you can see here is somebody who understood what authority is. And he's called a centurion in Matthew 8, 5 through 13. He came to Jesus and he was imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. This man understood full well what authority meant. Because he had authority over other people, but he was subject to authority himself. He had a first-hand knowledge of what authority really was. And he realized the significance and the power of his profession. He recognized the validity of Christ's position in the realm of healing. It was like his own authority with reference to men under him. It was absolute. He said, do this to his servant, and his servant did that very thing. He knew that the personal presence of Jesus was not necessary. Even forces of nature, even demons of Satan, bowed to a stronger force than themselves in their bowing to Jesus. There's power in His Word. Like the Word that He used when He spoke this creation into existence. There's power in that Word. Do you want to leave that powerful Word for your own personal think-sos about what religiously is right or what feels good for you? Do you want to do that? Do you want to gamble with your soul in that way? How wonderfully blessed we would be if we would so understand divine authority the way that this centurion did and understanding it, respect it just like he did. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1 and 2. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He's telling us. How do we know anything about that? Why do you folks in the church of Christ always talk about authority? Because Jesus talks about it. Because God has it. Jesus has it. His apostles had it. And instructed men as to how they ought to walk. Well, what's the big deal about how they walk? Because there's a way you walk that pleases God, and there's a way you walk that pleases yourself, and the way you walk pleasing yourself does not always measure up to what God wants you to do. Thus saith the Lord. Now here's a very important question, and it boils down to this, I think. 
Does it make any difference what God said? When everything is said and done, does it actually make any difference what God has said? Can we so disrespect the sacred Scriptures of God by claiming that it doesn't matter? It's all up to me, and it's all up to you, and if you want to believe it this way, you believe it, and if you want to believe it that way, you believe it. Do we serve a God of confusion? You know, if you have a right to your personal beliefs, and somebody else has a right to their personal beliefs, doesn't a person have a right to just not believe at all? If not, why not? It does matter. You know, the Lord came and He taught us the truth. It's a matter of truth. What is true and what fights against falsehood. What is true? You know, Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And Jesus didn't give him an answer. But the answer is found in the Holy Scriptures of God. It's found in a prayer that Jesus made just shortly before His crucifixion in John 17 and verse 17, when he was praying for his disciples and he said, Sanctify them. He's praying to his Father. Father, set my disciples apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Are you having trouble understanding what I'm saying tonight? Do people have trouble understanding me when I say, Thus saith the Lord? Do people have trouble with this? Two plus two. Now there's a true answer. There, there's a true answer to this math problem, isn't there? Do you know what the true answer is? What is it? Four. Okay? A young person can understand what I'm talking about. They know mathematical truth. They know if you have two of something and you add two of the same thing, then you have four. Now, if Americans as smart as we like to brag that we really are before all the world, can understand two plus two is four. Why do they say two plus two is five? Two plus two is really six. Two plus two is some number between four and five. And they'll go out and get people to agree with them. And the more they get to agree with them, ah, we've got the power now. We're going to change it. Two plus two is equal to five. And you're saying, no, two plus two is four. You know what you're going to hear? What do you believe that old-fashioned stuff for? Come into the modern age. Believe two plus two is equal to five. Look at all the people who believe that. 
You don't want to be out of step. You don't want to be different from them. You don't want to be persecuted because you won't go along. Now, if we can see that in such a simple mathematical problem as this, why can we not see that when it comes to what God has said in His sacred Word? Jesus said the Word of God is truth. What's going to get me to heaven? It's going to be the truth and nothing else. Why can men not see that? Why? It has to be because they don't want to. Maybe that's it some of the time anyway. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. You know, there's an Old Testament parable that would be applicable here when Jeremiah was told by the Lord to go down to the potter's house. And there I will announce my words to you. Go down to the potter's house. I went down to the potter's house, Jeremiah said, in Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 13, and there he was making something on the wheel, but the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. There was a valuable lesson taught to the people of God on that occasion through the prophet Jeremiah. Can I, can I not deal with you, my people, as this potter deals with this clay on his wheel in his pottery shop? To many people, God is the clay, and we are the potters, and we're free to mold God into whatever shape we desire. And the shape we most of the time desire, God ends up like Santa Claus, or like a, like a favorite grandpa who gives his grandchildren everything they ask. And I know about that. I've got eight grandchildren. But that's not God. We seek an imaginary God who'll tolerate our inadequacies without requiring us to change. It is unthinkable that clay should have such an attitude toward the potter, but we do just exactly that. And Paul wrote to the Roman Christians and said in Romans 9, 20 and 21, on the contrary, who are you, old man? Who answers back to God? That's what we do when we go our own way and make our own rules and ignore, thus saith the Lord. Who are you to answer back to God? There are so many places in our Bible where you will find, thus saith the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord God. How do you respond to that is the question tonight. Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah chapter 7, but this is what I commanded them saying, God is speaking through him. Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And you will walk in the way which I command you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. 
but walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising early and sending them, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did more evil than their fathers. Oh man, that's a sad situation, isn't it? But that's what men do when they leave and depart from, thus saith the Lord. Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 4 and verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And that's what we're saying tonight. Pay close attention to this teaching. Persevere in these things. The teachers and preachers who do that here, persevere in these things. That's why we insist, thus saith the Lord, for everything we believe in practice. Because if we don't, if I don't, my salvation is lost. And if you listen to me when I don't, your salvation is lost. Now, are you willing to risk that? Don't do it. Thus saith the Lord. God bless you tonight. Thank you so much for listening to the Word of God. I appreciate that wholeheartedly. If you're in our assembly and you're not a Christian, you need to become one. If you're not walking as close to God as you need to walk, not as close to God as you walked when you came in this building, you need to walk closer with God when you walk out those doors. And these brethren here can help you with that. We can help you. We can pray with you and pray for you. You can be baptized into Christ this very night if that's your desire. Will you listen to thus saith the Lord? There's no more difficult problem on this earth than the stubborn will of man. Will you overcome that stubborn will if you have a stubborn will and yield to thus saith the Lord tonight? Can we help you? If we can, please come and let us know while we stand together and encourage you by singing this song.